It's a few weeks before Christmas and I'm in college and I do not have this Christmas spirit at all. I am feeling very small in the big city of Chicago. There are tons of people on the street. It is snowing. There are cars everywhere. There's Christmas music coming out of some of the storefronts and I just am not into it at all. And I'm headed back to class. I had gone to lunch between classes and now I'm headed back and I'm standing at a red light and I feel a tug on the sleeve of my coat. And I look down and there's a six-year-old boy and he's holding his mother's hand and he looks up at me and he says, aren't you the giant? And I smile and I say, yeah, I am because my college, my school has a children's theater troupe and we go around to elementary schools and we perform fairy tales for the kids. And one of those fairy tales is called The Giant and the Three Golden Hairs. And even though I'm only five, six, I'm the one who's playing the giant. And he smiles at me and says, I knew it. And I walk across the street when the light turns green and I've had many reviews, both bad and good in my life. But I think back to that one more than any other, because that day I was 10 feet tall. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I tackle one question and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. Last week, we introduced 899 Second Stories, and we've got seven more for you this week. They are popular. You heard Richard Munchkin at the top of the show, and we've got additional stories by Anu Subramanian, Chandrehi Lahiri. I apologize to both of you for that pronunciation. Julie Baker, Harold Cox, Cora Waring, and Anne Vandy Perky. This is our 11th episode and our final episode of 2020. Remember, if you want to learn more about Grit's weekly events, our Facebook group is in the show notes. Kurt and I are both offering workshops in January. You can learn more about them in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening and your support. Let's dive in. If pand- hashtag pandemic separation was a thing, I would be trending because my husband of 20 years walked out on our marriage. I was devastated. I was lonely. And so I did what any good extrovert would do. I reached out to my friends and family and it worked. They called me, they texted me, and they helped me process all my calls and texts and emotions and thoughts. But it didn't work. I was still in pain and I was sad. Even my 11-year-old son told me things I could do to take care of myself. Then a friend suggested doing something big to take control of my life by starting to take control of my house. And I could do that. Like plans were good for me. So I bought a new mattress, 
bought a new comforter, called a painter to paint the kitchen, and took out all the photos from the house. This last Friday, I was really excited. The painter left, and I stood in the middle of the room and looked around. I was waiting to feel something different, to, for something to shift, to start feeling better. And nothing had changed. I was still lost, I was still confused, and I still was sad. So I went to bed in my new mattress, feeling disappointed. Just before I closed my eyes, I heard a buzz. And I looked at my phone, and there were a bunch of messages from different friends and family checking on me on a Friday night. And then I was reminded again that I was going to be okay. So my first day of school was in Doha in the Middle East, and it was a British school, which basically meant that I was one of the few non-white kids, but I was six. I didn't understand any of that, and I was just excited to finally make some friends. The big day came. Morning went really well. Now it was recess time, and all the kids spilt out into the hot playground, running around, screaming wildly but no one had asked me to play with them. So I made my way over to the swing set that was baking quietly in the desert sun, feeling a little lonely. So when Jennifer from my class started coming over, I put this big smile on my face. I didn't even get to say anything before she said, I hate you, your skin's brown. And then she flounced away her ponytail swinging and I was left of looking at my screen to see what was so wrong with it. That night, my mom wiped away my tears and she armed me with this script. So the next day at recess, when Jenny came over again, I was ready. I squared my shoulders, took a deep breath and said, I hate you, Jennifer, because of your skin at the same time that Jennifer said, I'm so sorry for what I said. I was just so grumpy. Turns out she was new and disoriented just like me. And I was never lonely at recess again. I am not an alcoholic. I'm surrounded by people who drink and get high way more than I do. Alcoholics are middle-aged men like my dad or homeless people who ask for money in the park. I'm not even 19 years old. I just like to party. When I end up in a detox, it's sort of by mistake. And I tell myself that I'm there to help my boyfriend get sober. Before I leave, a counselor dares me to go to AA and tells me he doesn't think I'm gonna go and he doesn't think I'm gonna stay sober. I'm afraid that he might be right. I wanna prove him wrong, so I go. The guy who's speaking is hot. Now I've told everyone who's introduced themselves to me, that I'm there to get a better perspective on my boyfriend's disease. But I'm paying attention because the guy is hot until he says how he woke up in his own vomit when he was drinking and that that's how most street people die. I went home to my attic bedroom 
where my mother left room for rent ads on my bedroom floor. And I realized that had started happening to me when I was 14 years old. I would just wrap up my sheets, throw them in the trash, and it never happened. I am an alcoholic. feel really good about myself whenever I give small amount of money to homeless people who are panhandling at the convenience store. I feel even better about myself when I buy a hamburger or two for a homeless person at McDonald's. One day I was in the parking lot in my car, my air conditioned car, and a homeless man wheeled himself up to my car. He was in a wheelchair. He was disheveled. I rolled my window down and noticed that he smelled a little bit. He said, I need money. I looked through my wallet and I pulled out and gave to him $2 and $1, and I did this with a smile. He looked at me and he said, you know, I come out here every day in the hot sun trying to ask people for money. And you look through your wallet and you give me this measly $2 bill and you expect me to be happy and to thank you. My, my first reaction was, who is this guy? He doesn't know anything about me. My, my second reaction was, and I don't know anything about him either. Maybe I shouldn't be so smug. Maybe I shouldn't be so self-righteous. Maybe I should try to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Because someday, this could be me. I'm nine. My little sister Annie is four and she's lost. She's been lost for a couple hours because one minute she was in the driveway riding her Hot Wheels and the next minute she wasn't. So now the whole neighborhood is outside calling Annie, Annie, and my dad is out driving around looking for her um, because my parents are divorced and we're at his house for the weekend. So my dad comes back without my sister and he says, oh my God, I think I have to call the police. And immediately all I can think is like how upset my mother is going to be when she finds out about this. Because like if I lose a sweater, I get in trouble and my dad's lost like an entire human being. So my dad calls the police and it turns out that they'd already found my sister in a cemetery across a busy road next to our subdivision. And they'd taken her to a place called Child Haven, which when I asked my mother, she tells me is like an orphanage. So my dad takes me back to my mom's house so he can go daddy warbucks my sister out of Child Haven. And I'm just like waiting in the family room for him to come back, anticipating this explosive argument between my parents. But then suddenly my dad is there with Annie in his arms and my mom just says, Bill. And my dad says, yeah, Lynn, 
I know. It was 1968, I was 12. I was in my princess bed in my bedroom, and I woke up with a start. Jazz was blasting through the house, and I knew they were fighting again. I knew they'd been at one of those cocktail parties that they went to, where people drank cocktails and smoked cigarettes and fake laughed to each other. The jazz was so loud, it was deafening, it was in every corner, of the house. And I lay there in my princess bed and just listened, didn't do anything. I was lying there when all of a sudden the door to my bedroom burst open and the light from the hall beat down on my mom, who was crawling in on all fours with snot pouring out of her nose leaking down on her pale blue chiffon cocktail dress with the rhinestone belt. She was on all fours, crawling towards me. I leave your father. I leave your father. Her hair was piled high in one of those cocktail dews. And as she was crawling toward me, I could see her manicure in the carpet. She came up to the bed I'm leaving your father. I'm leaving your father. I sat up, and I didn't say anything. Now, I don't remember how she got out of my room. I don't remember the rest of the night. But I do remember the next morning. We were sitting around the breakfast table. They had their dark glasses on because that's what they did when they had hangovers. They were drinking Bloody Mary's. And they were saying sweet things to each other, as though nothing had happened. And jazz played on the stereo. And this cycle went on until I was 22, and she finally divorced him. As always, thanks so much for listening. Seven more 99-second stories. Let us say goodbye to 2020 and welcome 2021. Remember, Kurt and I are both offering classes. You can check that information out in the show notes. If you want to contact us, hello at storygrit.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Grit True Stories That Matter. Next week, we're back at it with a longer story by Howard Lieberman. From both Kurt and I, on December 31st, 2020, Happy New Year.